everyone. It's Radio Trivia back again with episode 96. I am using the wrong prepositions, but it doesn't matter because I have Mr. Greg Leahy with me. Hello. And, uh, it's been a very long time. I'm sure you've looked up the last time you were on. I think it was. I think it was episode 70. I want to say, but obviously it was uh, last year's PAX East. So right. you know the the, right. the the rest of the RFA crew was over there in Boston. Uh, I was not, so I was available. <laughs> I wasn't actually editing the podcast that weekend, and so we recorded. Uh, you know, I was a radio trivia together because that was pretty much the only opportunity I got to do. And I must say, being the sort of appallingly selfish person that I am, when I discovered that this year before PAX East that obviously I wasn't going, but then you said you were, <laughs> I was like, well, that's, that's the only good thing about that week is gone now. <laughs> I oh, can't do it. I'm sorry, Greg. Well, well, you have a week off, RFN. And uh, and so we're 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 capitalizing on this uh, vacation right. uh, to record a podcast. Um, I'm not sure exactly when it'll go up, but uh, we we are uh, taking advantage of the opportunity. We are keeps up my once a year kind of pace now. I think yeah. I think I've been on at least once a year since 2008. So that, that's that, that's that's gonna have to suffice. <laughs> oh man, you do so much work for that editing. Uh, I, I can't speak. See, I was telling Greg beforehand, my brain isn't quite turned on right now, and so I apologize for saying sentences that don't quite make sense. You know what I find does quite well to turn my brain on is video game music. Oh, excellent. <laughs> well, I think we have some right over here. Let me uh, let me cue it up. <laughs> That's it. I gotta love the bass line on that one. Nice. It's got a good melody to it too, which uh, which is good for a first game in a, in an episode. This this game has a lot of kind of sort of hard driving music, um, which I guess you'll see. Yes, yeah, so on to the next song.
Mm, a bit more of an urgent quality to that particular song, I think. Setting us up for the critical third song. That, you know, Hopefully, if people haven't already got it, they're going to get it next. All right. Well, since uh, this is your game request, as are pretty much all the games of this episode, mm. uh, would you would you like to ask the bonus question? Yeah, the bonus question. So hopefully it's to provide a hint uh, as well as a bit of trivia in itself. <laughs> uh, so the last boss of this game cannot be harmed directly. So how do you beat it? That's more like what I would expect out of this game than the second song. They're very purposefully chosen to fit on something <laughs> a bit more quintessentially uh, in the spirit of this series. Yeah. So uh, this is, uh, of course, Gradius 3 for the Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. And uh, I-, I have to say I'm pretty much a novice when it comes to uh, the uh, side-scrolling or vertical shooter genre. Yeah. Um, I've played a handful of them, but I don't think I've ever beaten one before, unless you count, like, Star Prince and Retro <laughs> Game Challenge, that I don't think really counts. It's pretty generous. Um, and, and, of course, Star Fox, which sort of was derived from, from this game, you know, that series. Mm. is derived from this genre, but it's quite a bit different, Indeed. I'd argue, especially in terms of difficulty. 
this was your top pick when you when you came on. This was the number one game you wanted me to use. From from the point of view, it's a very personal favorite of mine because it's 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 a big sort of uh, game in terms of my sort of gaming history. Because I mean, first of all, the original Gradius for NES was one of the and relatively few NES games that I had and I really really liked. Uh, so when we upgraded to the Super Famicom. And we had Gradius 3 as one of the first games that we got. That was the most tangible sort of example of like, well, you know, it's sort of the same thing, but it's just so much better because of how much better the graphics are. And in particular, how much better the sound is now. The original Gradius has got some really catchy tunes in it. You know, it's infectious kind of stuff. But with this, the fidelity of the sound just took it to a whole other level. And, you know, I think as some of the song selections showed there, it allowed it to go in a few different kind of places rather than just like as you said like the last song is kind of what you think of with Gradius soundtracks and right. a lot of them do sound like that but with the Super Nintendo in particular which kind of obviously was largely based off the arcade version but it had different music it, it, especially the first track that you heard was actually is actually taken from the final level and it's completely different from the final level uh, music that's found in the arcade version so Super Nintendo synth was put to excellent use by Konami from the very beginning and yeah. for me it really embellished the experience of playing the game because it just fits so well with what was going on there were so many cases where you know it just kind of captured the mood of it and kind of in a sense made the game feel more dynamic than it really was you know because it's a shoot 'em up you know I mean there's not yeah. that much kind of dynamism in gameplay sets with those things but for instance I mean there's one level in the game where it, the sort of speed cranks up into the sort of crazy gauntlet and uh, you've got these like narrow tunnels that sort of shift at sharp angles so you have to just react very quickly and it's absolutely crazy and the way that the, the music which is normally you know up tempo just cranks all the way up for that is you know just really brings home that sort of sense of speed and exhilaration through there's a lot of different places in it where I just think it really enhances it like there's a boss rush where each individual boss has its own theme music and just fits it really perfectly so I mean it, I think it was just a huge part of what made this game uh, so much more of a, uh, an experience rather than just you know another shooter back when the Super Famicom first came out now, Gradius 3 is famous for its slowdown, right? Yeah, it's got some pretty brutal stuff in it. You know, I mean, um, the Super Nintendo in general, uh, from a hardware perspective, was not well suited to fast-moving shoot-em-ups with a bunch of stuff on the screen at the same time. And of course, because this was one of the very early ones, and it was a conversion of an arcade game, it was not designed from the ground up, that created a sort of nice uh, perfect storm if you will for, yeah. for slow down conditions but I, you know I wouldn't say that it renders it unplayable or anything like that even go back to it now I mean I could still deal with it um, but yes I mean it's not you know, it sort of gameplay wise something like the, the, the PC engine you know the turbo graphics was better for arcade conversions of a Gradius type game my favorite example of slowdown in a Super Nintendo game is uh, in Super Mario World where there's that one level in, in the on Star Road, that's the water level with all the cheap cheeps. Yes. And if you can get enough cheap cheeps on screen, it goes to a crawl. Yeah, cause when they're just flopping on the floor, because yeah. the water rises and falls, and then when they flop on the, on the just out of the water, together, well, that too. It kills it. I'm thinking of the one where where you get a star at the beginning, and then 
you're going through the entire level as a star power for playing it, right? Oh, yeah. And so it's intentionally designed to have lots of enemies on there so you can get lots of one-ups. Yes, yes. If you're not killing them, then, uh, <laughs> I guess that's or eating them. Maybe just in the special world, they felt like they could put a few things in there that might break it a little more because you weren't gonna you weren't gonna get there unless you were very persistent and loved the game, probably. So I, I definitely uh, can imagine what Greatest Three is like once there's a lot of bullets on. The yeah, screen. in particular, like there's a few sections where you get these like. Um, they're kind of like dragons, you know, so sort of like monsters that come out of the sand or come out of the fire in the fire level, where they've got like a head and then a multi-segmented body that kind of wraps around you, and all. they play havoc with the uh, speed of the game, in particular. Well, there was a there was a question about how you beat the final boss. There was indeed. So it's kind of a tradition with Gradius that the final boss is kind of feeble. You know, you get through all this crazy sort of gauntlet of stuff to kill something that's pretty much defenseless, uh, but they sort of riffed off that a little differently around history, so it's this giant brain in amongst like, all these like these walls of faces and stuff, and you can't really kill it just by shooting at it, but it spits out these giant balls at you, that if you shoot them instead of just dodging them, it will hurt it and eventually kill it. So you shoot the bubbles and they knock the bubbles back? No, it doesn't or... knock them back, it just, it just by shooting them it hurts the boss. <laughs> okay. What is it with shooting games and brains being final bosses? Yeah, there is definitely a tradition in that. Well, uh, we're going to move on to the next game here. Pleasant opening. Well, yeah, I guess there's something pleasant about this game.
Quite the contrast uh, from the first track, that one. Well, very heavy on the synth guitar. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I will uh, now uh, take us through the hint question. So this game underwent a major makeover in the middle of its development. So what kind of vehicle would you have been controlling if the developers had stayed the course? never really been interested in this game or its relatives but maybe you can explain to me why I should actually care about this game it's Wave Race 64 yes it is for the N64 I, I I tried playing a Wave Race game once it, it sort of bored me I didn't understand the controls very well and I said screw this I'm going to play Mario Kart uh, <laughs> So uh, when was this that you first got to play a Wave Race game? Was it? I think it was actually the first attempt was probably Blue Storm at E3. Oh really? That'd be my guess. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. I mean, for me, Wave Race '64. Uh, you know, I think the first thing you have to say is that obviously it was an early N64 game, and uh, there weren't terribly many of them in that period. And I don't know that I would have given it a go. If you know we weren't in that kind of launch period where there isn't very much on the system, but you you, know, you want something to play on it, uh, and so I I had it as a present for Christmas of 1996, and you know it was it had it had good reviews, uh, so that obviously reassured me. And there was the sort of the technical prowess issue, you know, which was a big thing with N64 games in a lot of ways. Uh, with this one, of course, it was the the water physics because right. it's a jet skiing game. You know they it's a big part of the visuals and it's a big part of the gameplay um, and certainly you know it it wasn't the kind of game that I had played very much of previously and so it took me a lot of getting used to but again given the fact that there wasn't a lot else to play on N64 and whatnot I had time 
to kind of apply myself to it and get better at it. And I found that I, I grew to enjoy it and I, you know, did everything like on the expert class and I think there was there was a mirror mode or not exactly a mirror mode, I think you literally just drove around them backwards uh, for the uh, for the final class and you know, I yeah. it, it is challenging because you know, you can get some really hideous wipeouts in this game. You know, when you crash you lose a lot of time and it's you know there's no kind of rubber banding you know in the same way that you would have in Mario Kart anyway I'm sure there's some balancing but the fact is you know it's it's quite easy to blow it big time with with yeah. one mistake or something on one of the more difficult courses so it's it's more of a you know it's more of a sort of sim type racing game even though you know that's probably overstating it a bit but you know compared to some of, a lot of the other stuff that Nintendo has produced in the genre uh, but I mean as far as its music goes I, I enjoyed it at the time because it's got this very sort of relaxing kind of uh, vibe to it for the most part apart from that um, that rock one in the middle <laughs> that we just used, uh, you know, because it, obviously with the water theme and all that, it's, it's fairly appropriate. But I get, they did kind of modify, like for certain courses, were always, you know, a lot choppier than others. So that particular rock one is like in, in the sort of the port level where you've got like all these, you know, like machinery around and the, the water's really terrible and stuff. So it kind of ups the ante and a lot of narrow passageways and stuff. So it's, 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 it is quite an intense level. It fits quite nicely, I would say. Do you think that if uh, this game were released now, people would give it a try? I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, given given the dearth of games, yeah, you, you were willing to give it a try and learn to like it. And with so many other games out there now, do you think if if say this game were released on the 3DS uh, and it were the first real entry in the series? Uh, do you think people would be as receptive to it? Is the 3DS the best example, given the relative paucity of games for it? <laughs> just, being, just being silly. No, I mean, I think, you know, it, it, first of all, it depends on whether you have an affinity for this kind of game. You know, some people just aren't going to like the you know, sort of harder racing game. You know, I'm not mad on them myself. And, you know, I might find it difficult uh, to enjoy them as much today as I did uh, back then, you know, given sort of all the different options you have now. But, I mean, there's no doubt to me that Wave Race 64 is a very good game for what it attempts to do. Um, but obviously, you know, its appeal is a bit limited to the fact that, you know, you've got the, the cups that you go through, you've got, like, four selectable uh, jet skis and jets and accompanying characters that, you know, they're, they're pretty much like the original F-Zero. You know they go from yeah. the re- you know they go from the really nippy little guy to the big fat guy that's like the fire stick right basically, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then you you did have a two-player mode, uh, but the, I, I think you kind of hit upon one of the problems with the two-player mode, which is if you didn't have someone who also owned the game and had kind of trained himself to play it, it'd be very difficult to have someone just say, oh yeah, here's this, try this. You know, it's just not that accessible, so it's difficult to get. Right. You know, something like a Mario Kart, you know, a Smash Brothers, this that, and the other, a lot of the you know, the big hits. Even F Zero X, I would argue, is a lot more accessible uh, as a multiplayer game on the N sixty four. So yeah, I mean, the the, I, the the multiplayer didn't get a lot of uh, use from me at the time, but. I, it is a good game, so I think if you're someone who is inclined for this sort of stuff, if they put out another new wave race that was that was similar, uh, I think you, people could enjoy it. 
So you, you mentioned that uh, they used to have a different vehicle, which which I find very surprising. Yes, it's, it's an intriguing uh, backstory to this. So if you remember back when they had Space World or Shoshinkai or whatever, uh, you know, in the mid-90s, they showed a lot of footage from N64 games that, you know, were, were some of which were quite far off, although Wave Race was a bit sooner. Uh, but Wave Race at that time basically had you driving these like futuristic transforming speedboats that's that's the answer to the question basically instead of people on jet skis they were these like sci-fi looking things uh, that you you were still on water it was still called wave race but you know you, you would uh, you'd be piloting these sort of sci-fi craft along water and i guess you know some people say maybe they thought it was too similar to f-zero at that point and so they kind of wanted to just focus on the the aquatic element that yeah, as i said you know kind of proving what the n64 could do with you know with you know, these sort of fluid mechanics and stuff so i think they they kind of uh, narrowed the focus and then you know completely sort of changed it to this uh, the jet ski theme instead so that that's a kind of an interesting ch- you know change in sort of how you uh, just did the, the game's visuals how it would kind of appeal to people uh, but i guess you know the, the core mission of it which was you know, that demonstrating what you could do with the sort of aquatic gameplay didn't change. So, in Future Six Speedboats, I guess they weren't super fast like F Zero. They were. I have no idea, honestly. I mean, I never saw these videos. I mean, I see they had videos, but obviously, I you know, basically sort of nascent internet. Uh, you know, I only ever saw screenshots of it. I don't know whether you could find it online anywhere. Well, your description makes me think of Excitebox, but... Uh... It, does, it does sound a little bit like it. Like I, said, I don't really know how much they kind of transformed or changed, because again, you know, you're only seeing screenshots. <laughs> it's difficult, and yeah. the game never uh, made it out in that form. But, I mean, it, it, it's, it's certainly an interesting idea. Uh, I wonder if they might ever sort of, you know, reboot the Wave Race series by kind of going back to something closer to that. Although, of course, the F-Zero series is also dormant. Maybe they could do, like, a, a versus game. <laughs> F-Zero. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, it's hard to have pits you can fall up into nothingness if it's an aquatic theme. So <laughs> well, unless it's sci-fi <laughs> aquatic theme, then you can do a lot of things. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's. Uh, I, I do have fond memories of it. I do have fond memories of the music uh, as well. But I, I tell you what, that's another. I, I think I said this for Ikaruga on RFM once, but I was sick as a dog that Christmas. And sometimes when I hear the, the music that we just played, it does remind me of just how ill I was. <laughs> as I was pretty much yeah. incapacitated, so all I could do was play N64 at best. Alright, well, let's move on to another game then that maybe you're not. Uh... You don't have memories of vomiting while playing. So, uh, <laughs> so is this the listener request portion? It's not all me. That's right. This is uh, the listener request. Uh, although I, I I picked this one with you in mind, of course. All right. So. Well, d- d- to, to the listeners, you know, you had the whole show last week, so I want no complaints. Yeah. You know, I, I've been waiting for more than a year for this, so you know, I'm gonna go, but I look forward to playing along for real on this one. Uh, I've committed to one, at least one game a week is, is sort of the, the going agreement, so they shouldn't be complaining. That's fine, but I, I suppose, given recent trends, I should ask, is this, like, what year is this from? 2008? 2007? I think it's pretty recent. I think it's within <laughs> the last year. Okay, well, that did help me. That pretty much gave me No More Heroes the other week. You know, it was like, well, <laughs> yeah, I was like, is this the second No More Heroes? And then he's like, when they mentioned that it was in 2008, well, it's like, guess not. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Hmm. My first impression is I don't know what this game is. <laughs> but, oh. but uh oh. Yeah, yeah. But platform I have an idea certainly. But uh we're gonna have to maybe I can I can blag my way through this one yet. Let's let's go press on with the other side. Alright. Kind of just reinforces my previous thoughts on this, so I think that hint question is going to be very important here. All right. This cartridge included a special chip that enabled what special effect? Oh, it's on a cartridge, is it? Well, that certainly helps. <laughs> well, then it had a special chip. Yeah, that that that's absolutely.
Okay, Greg. Yeah, I think my goose is kind of cooked on this one. Uh, I well, first of all, system-wise, I think it's it's it, it, transparently Super Nintendo. Um, if I had to guess a developer, I would say Capcom. Am I in the wheelhouse or am I already? Out? Yeah, you are. Okay, well, special chips at Capcom. I've, I, I'm kind of le- I, I'm not really that good on this guess, but it's the only one I've got. So I'm gonna have to say Mega Man X3. Oh man, you're so close. It's so Mega Man X2. Fuck it out. And they both had the same chip in them. Right. Oh, if only I'd known that it started on two, I probably would have said that. So I just for some reason when you said three, you know the special chip just evokes three in my mind rather than two. That's disappointing. Oh dear. Well, um, of course the the chip we're talking about allowed for some wireframe 3D effects, right. which. Uh, or, or kind of gratuitously used, I think, in, in these games. Uh, like just the opening sequence, you look at the title screen, and like the X is all, all rotating into place. And, oh god, that so. was pretty. That's the sort of mid to late Super Nintendo era all over, wasn't it? Really? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I've never played this. As as longtime listeners will know, I'm not a big Mega Man fan. Although I did enjoy playing Mega Man X on Virtual Console when it came out. So yeah, I, well, I, I am I, curious I, to giving X2 a try. I hadn't played, you know, any of the X games, as our listeners will know, until the original X uh, came out of Virtual Console. I enjoyed that a lot. Would be certainly open to more Virtual Console X goodness, uh, but, you know, the special chips issue is definitely something to bear in mind considering, you know, Star yeah. Fox, Yoshi's Island that used the FX chip. We haven't seen those. It doesn't seem like the kind of barrier that they're particularly willing to surmount. I mean, we've seen some things like in Japan, Castlevania 3 had a custom processor, for instance, uh, that was emulated for the Japanese Virtual Console. Fine. Mm-hmm. So, but Super Nintendo, I'm struggling to think of any examples of. Yeah, work. on NES, I know you know Star Tropics 2 had a pretty unique. Uh, processor right and they obviously emulated that i don't know if there's actually problems doing a acceptable level of emulation with the, the horsepower in the in the wii or, or what the story is there but uh mm. you're right uh i can't think of anything for super nintendo it's a sh- it's a shame i mean you know we've had expansion pack games uh, on the n64 that's obviously different because it was just ram but i mean at one point yeah. we were kind of sketchy or whether that would ever happen and then you know majora's mass came along well, I guess uh, Mario RPG had a special chip in it. You're right. That was that was a different kind of cartridge because I couldn't play that cartridge. It gave my converter problems precisely for that reason. So you, you, that, that, that's worth bearing in mind, but maybe it's a particular yeah. kind because, I mean, you would have thought Star Fox, Yoshi's Island, you know, these are bankable games. Uh, that would have generated very nice amount of revenue on Virtual Console. You surely would have expected them to have been sold if they could be, you know, within as easily as seemingly everything else uh, has been put on there. Actually, a lot of SNES games had eight cool processors of some kind, like Super Mario Kart. I know yeah, I had one, um, but but you know, not all those cool processors are made equal. Some exactly. Of them are much, yeah, I, I guess much beefier than others. So, yeah. and I, I'm not sure how beefy. Realistically, this uh, CX4 chip was. Uh, I mean, it's it sort of a trigonometric coprocessor. Right. Uh, so I don't know how hard it would really be to implement. The question is probably whether, like, 
Capcom would be asked to do that implementation and whether it's worth their time. Mm. I don't know how that structure works. It's, it's still a, yeah, there's still so much about the Virtual Console, even as it comes up to being five years old, that we don't really appreciate the sort of all the the, the elements of the process. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's obviously having played the original uh, Mega Man X, you know, that's how I was able to kind of think it's a it's a Capcom game. Uh, it could well be a Mega Man X game because there are clear similarities in the soundtrack oh, yeah. there. I mean, certainly the, the 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 kind of guitar synth that's used there. <laughs> there, there's a lot of guitar synth in this episode. I have to say. <laughs> yeah, so I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, you know, I mean, there's uh, there's definitely a lot of that in the original X as you might expect, and in quite a few Capcom Super Super Nintendo games. UN Squadron would be another one that I could think yeah. of that has a, a very similar set, and also the bass lines. Very similar as well, you know. I mean, it's 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 it was a really lovely kind of period where, you know, 60-bit games. You know, there was a, a square sound, there was a Konami sound, there was a Capcom sound. You know, it was mm-hmm. very very distinct at that time. Even games in quite different genres could seem to have you know a kind of a common thread, just on the basis of the developer. But the the cool thing about the Super Nintendo was is that its the sound capabilities were diverse enough that it allowed that to happen. You know, people used it in different ways. It was a big enough canvas for that. Well, I'd say you heard that in NES. Oh, you, d- you did, but it just kind of branched out. I mean, Konami NES soundtracks are pretty damn distinctive too. I mean, that's just yeah. the way they did things, I guess. Well, one interesting thing I, I found about the, the... I don't know the compositions, but the arrangements of, uh, of the X-Series is that um, unlike most developers that were trying to make more orchestral or fanciful instruments Capcom seems to deliberately chosen no we're going to do some square 8-bit style stuff that's what Mega Man sounds like and and they included you know the very 8-bit sounding uh, instrumentation for some of these songs that you really didn't hear in, on the Super Nintendo much. There was a lot of drive towards you know an orchestral style a cinematic style you know the uh, some of the early Games that kind of laid down the marker for that, like you know, some like Act Razor, I think. Right. Uh, Konami, you know, Castlevania 4 kind of fell into this category to some extent, and obviously the big RPGs of the day were going to go in that direction. Mm-hmm. So I think there were probably a lot of people, you know, maybe felt pressure to to go in that sort of direction. But Mega Man, you know, quite rightly. Uh, I think has yeah with a sort of slightly more light-hearted kind of style, you know. I mean, I think something like Contra Three, yeah, that went very cinematic when it got to Super Nintendo. I mean, I've yeah. said before, it's bits of it that basically just ripped out of Predator, you know, which is a film. <laughs> but whereas I think Mega Man, even then, was sort of more comfortable being very sort of particularly a, a game. You know, and uh, that's still. Although obviously the X soundtracks are quite different from the NES ones in some ways, there's still that kind of vibe about it. This game was requested by uh, Eric from Garland, Texas, who goes by Roy Koopa64 in the forums. So uh, thank you very much for uh, for your X request. Keep them coming. They're the lifeblood of Radio Trivia when I'm not doing a show once every year. <laughs> Alright, well, we're going to go on to the fourth game. Back in my world again. <laughs> yes.
Well, I'd say if you haven't all got it already, then there's plenty to chew on in that song, regardless mm-hmm. uh, as to what the game mm-hmm. might be.
I imagine our listeners might be getting very much warmer as to the uh, (laughs) identity of this game after that song. So uh, this question before we play the final song is going to be a bit more trivia Mm. than hint, shall we say. Uh, So which character makes a timely cameo in this game? Thank you. 
Well, I think we've uh, hit this game over the over people's heads by now. Uh, well, certainly the series, at least. But I would imagine the specific game also. Yeah, I, I wanted to choose a, a song. You and I both wanted to choose a song that w- that was directly, basically taken from uh, the original in the series. And uh, I thought about doing something slightly less obvious, but I just like that arrangement so much that I, I had to pick it. I think that's one of the best, uh, which is you know, of the ones that are very, very directly patterned on you. That smooth yeah. jazz kind of vibe is uh, really, it goes really nicely with the level that it's on as well. Yeah, so uh, this is uh, Donkey Kong Country Returns for Wii. Uh, and of course, the first two songs had a bit of a Metroid Prime-ish vibe to them. Indeed, so. they did. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, of course developed by Retro, who developed uh, the Metroid Prime games, but specifically Kenji Yamamoto, the composer, uh, you know, carried over from Metroid Prime as well. And he goes back to the early days of Metroid before Retro, obviously, were ever involved. You know, he was a Super Metroid and Fusion, and you know, he's done soundtrack work on uh, pretty much all the Metroids mm-hmm. uh, apart from sort of up to the present day uh, from Super Metroid other than Other M uh, you yeah. know because yeah, uh, I guess the whole kind of cinematic production of that you know kind of could have had him out of the process if he was busy with DK as well well uh, you know a lot of people kind of rag on the soundtrack of this game I, I think it's pretty conservative in the sense that it's it borrows or models itself very heavily from the original Donkey Kong Country, which... It's definitely that. There's no question it's pretty conservative. And I was sad to see that they really... The whole game doesn't really take anything from 2 or 3. It's really just Donkey Kong Country 1 done differently. Very but true. It's, it's, but it's a very good game, and actually the soundtrack is very good. It's just... I think it's very good. I mean, for me, personally, you know, the sort of when it was first kind of talked about, you know, DKC, the original, obviously has a fantastic soundtrack. And that's some of the reason why this one is as conservative as it is. But, you know, when you have that, and then it's Arkenji Yamamoto who's going to be doing the music, and he did a really great job with the Metroid games. You know, had quite a broad, you know, what he does in Super Metroid is actually quite different from what he's done in some of the Prime games or Fusion, or, you know, so you feel like he's got range to do this. And uh, I guess, you know, the expectations get pretty high. And so when you get something that's that's mostly patterned uh, on the obviously excellent Super Nintendo soundtrack it may be it doesn't quite meet those expectations but it's still you know, purely on a sort of moment to moment basis experiencing the game the soundtrack works well it complements the action well I think part of what you said is I think it was kind of a little bit hyped up that, that Kenji was working on this but there were actually like five or six people listed there are yeah so I mean who he only did a few of them um, and maybe we chose two that he did based on the at least the synth instruments yeah chosen. I mean, there's definite, like, obviously, in the second song, uh, you know, for the fire world of DK, yeah. you know, the, the, the sort of synth voices, you know, the sort yeah. of synth choral element is very reminiscent of many aspects of Prime. And yeah. then the sort of electronic aspects of the mm-hmm. first song that we played, which is the factory world. Yeah. So it reminds me most of Prime 2, actually. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, which begs the question, uh, with with the flagging sales of the Metroid series, would would they be better off uh, 
making a Metroid game with Donkey Kong as a star since he's uh, <laughs> seems to have staying power. He's, he's bankable, <laughs> you know. I mean, DK <laughs> has sold uh, very well worldwide. Uh, just, yeah. just like, just like he finds the magic coconut helmet <laughs> with a scan visor on it. <laughs> Starts exploring. Apparently, there's bananas underground. I must find yeah. them. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's, I don't. Know, I mean, the Metroid. Who knows how that's uh, gonna go in the future? As I've said before, it may well uh, take a break for a little bit, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Retro get back in the saddle for something on Wii U, actually. Whether it be the first thing they do for it, I don't know, but maybe at some point, you know, it seems like there's a lot of potential with the controller there. Yeah, or, or maybe we'll see another 2D one. I mean, I think that's... Oh, well, I would love too. that. I would love that, but they see... They seem to be going out of style a little bit. Like even even the usually dependable Igarashi Castlevanias have mysteriously kind of dried up beyond that weird XBLA yeah. thing. Well, who knows? Who knows what the future holds? But um, okay, Donkey Kong Country. I mean, I I think it's a really fun game in spite of some control decisions. Uh, yeah, yeah, the control thing is a little annoying. But I mean, you, you moving past that, I think it's it's definite contender for my favorite side scroller on the Wii, which is no small distinction. It, it is a very difficult game, so uh, I'm not surprised. I mean, yeah, I mean, you and I, I mean, both completed the game. I I, I beat the extra world. Uh, I mean, I I've seen pretty much everything there is to see, other than maybe collecting all the Kong letters. Well, the Kong letters, the the Kong letters. Uh, let, I'm sorry, the pu- puzzle pieces. The puzzle pieces are the ones that, yeah, are a lot more difficult to find. Although they just unlock like bits of art and stuff. Right. So there's not such a strong incentive there, but yeah, it's challenging, and that's the thing. I mean, for me, like you know, this is the one that's you know that's, that's really tough and it's satisfying in that way. And then you know, Warrior Land, Shake It, which is a very different kind of game. It's almost you know difficult to compare them, despite the fact they're both side scrolling. But that's more your thinking man's one, you know, yeah. with the finding the uh, the all the chests in that there's, mm. there, there's some head scratches so uh, those two kind of stand out to me amongst the, the many very good ones on Wii that we've had by now uh, but I mean it's uh, I think it's um, you know exactly the kind of thing uh, that that's just the DK you know is, is perfect for mm-hmm. uh, but uh, whether you know they can take it any further from here I'm not you know, I'm not sure you can do like a DKC Returns 2 or something. Yeah. Uh, that, that might be a bit of a stretch. Well, I, I would like to see Nintendo continue to, to give this franchise to other developers, and, but not just sort of let them do what they will like they have with, say, Kirby. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> oh, really yeah. shepherd it. I mean, like, I mean, you've seen this good feel on, on Wario and, and the game Retro Donkey Kong Country. I think there's more potential in this series with different... Uh, Developers like uh, King of Swing was really good. Yeah, no, I, I I played the uh, I played the DS King of Swing. I liked that a lot. Obviously, Jungle Beat is excellent. That's a different group again. Right. Uh, you know, and so yeah, but they've given it a oh, pay on I think to, to King of Swing. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh huh. So, uh, who, who also did like the Klonawa remake on Wii, mm-hmm. and then EAD Tokyo, and then Retro. I mean, you know, they've they've been giving it to different developers, but usually coming up with something pretty good. So yeah, I, I don't necessarily see Retro doing the same thing again but just like a sequel or something maybe they'll they'll give dk something different to do with a different mm-hmm. developer yeah i think that's most likely um who knows maybe good feel make the next one or maybe good feel make the next metroid 2d platformer maybe they'll do all hand drawn artwork a 2d metroid game i think that 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 would be a very good fit i think so I keep giving good feel things to do uh, on this podcast. I, uh, as long as they're doing something, I really <laughs> hope, you know, I mean, I don't know, you know, uh, certainly, you know, Wario and Kirby 
uh, were not hits on the order of the Donkey Kong Country returns. I mean, that sold very well. Uh, I think even in Japan, where I don't know the DKC is such a big thing, it sold pretty much in line like with the Galaxy games or something, you know, respectably well, sort of pushing up towards a million. And then everywhere else, it sold multiple millions of units. So uh, you know, it's been a success. Well, I think that's as much a, a marketing thing as, as a reflection on the game itself. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, because it has the power of, you know, we yeah. all know, DKC, the original, was hugely important yeah. commercially, really, sort of helped decisively win the 16-bit console wars in America mm-hmm. uh, for Nintendo. Well, th- there was a, a cameo you mentioned that I, I've actually scratched my head to think of where this takes place. Yeah, this is obscure, so this was my way of putting something a bit more challenging into this particular uh, part of the episode, because as you said, it's pretty likely that people are going to get it from the song, so yeah. so which character makes a cameo? It's actually Mr. Game & Watch. So, and so, so make me I, I want to guess where this cameo is, because I really don't remember it. Is he somewhere like in the, in the temple levels? Like for the for the I don't, bonus it's, levels it's he... possible he might be in more than one place but I know for certain he's in one place which is like you're in the factory level World 7 and okay. it's where DK it's one of those levels where DK and Diddy are displayed in silhouette uh, oh, in this case, yes. in okay, this case, so. it's because like you've got you've got like all smoke and stuff, and then somewhere in the background is Game and Watch like hammering away on something. So <laughs> <laughs> himself in silhouette, you know, obviously because yeah. that's what Game and Watch looks like. So yeah. it was it, just a nice little touch there. Uh, so yeah, that's that might be a bit more difficult to spot, I think, uh, compared to just identifying the game. Your mention of the smoky uh, silhouette level reminded me of, of uh, something else I wanted to mention, which is that uh, although the same songs are used in multiple levels in this game, generally speaking, there is a different variation for pretty much every level, be it slight changes in instrumentation or whatnot. So both the, that, that factory level that has Mr. Game & Watch and uh, the third song I played are the same song, but the instrumentation is actually a bit different, and you may not notice that unless you're uh, listening for it, so it it may be worthwhile to go back and and listen more carefully to the soundtrack. You might hear some interesting differences. Yeah, I think that's one of the bigger things that they did, you know, with some of these ones where they were taking, you know, melodies that had already been established in the original DK is that uh, DKC is that they kind of put more layers in it and then they could change the layers more. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, to just sort of mix it up a bit. I mean there's, there's obviously because it's so good in the first place. There's so and it, it's still satisfying to hear, you know, those kind of reprises and some of the more obscure ones that you get as well. For the snow levels, they, they the one of those songs is reprised, but it's in the uh, the whatever paleontology. Level, <laughs> yeah, I don't mean the Zach Miller world. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! All right, well we're gonna go on to the last game here, which I really know very little about. So it'd be interesting to see how many of our listeners really know that much about this, but I won't say anymore for fear of giving it away.
melancholy sort of start there. Well, I think the next song. Uh, well, is the next song, and we're energetic. I think of the last one. I think the se- the second one's kind of weird, uh, as All I right, recall. Then. Oh, then here comes the weirdness. <laughs> That is weird. <laughs> weird, it's sort of ominous, I think. It's, it's ominous, yet bizarre. Um... <laughs> well, maybe this one is giving listeners uh, a bit more trouble than the, what they've had so far, and that's, we'll see. But we do have this potentially helpful hint question, I don't know. Uh, this entry in a long-running series is notable for being left unreleased in which territory? And here comes the synth uh, guitars I was promising, I believe. Yeah, oh, yes. Oh, now we're in for it.
I'm not sure exactly why, but that sort of reminds me of a, a recent 3D Sonic game. <laughs> oh, really? I've got I, to play many isn't. of those. Uh, uh, no, it certainly is not, no. Well, uh, Greg, why don't you tell them what it is? Yeah, so this is Advance Wars uh, Days of Ruin, or Dark Conflict, if you're buying in Europe, uh, which came out for the DS. It was the last uh, Advance Wars to come out. Uh, but um, the sort of reason why I chose this uh, is basically because it's sort of a game in a first-party series that might be a bit deceptive, uh, because, of course, this marked a kind of very big tonal shift in a lot of ways uh, for the Advance Wars games, which hitherto had been very sort of light-hearted, uh, you know, pretty whimsical sort of take on warfare, certainly. Uh, whereas in this case, they sort of went uh, very like, okay, so basically we've had an apocalypse, but some people have survived, but they're still fighting each other, and they're starving, and they're dying of plagues, and you know, yeah. it's, it's just awful. Uh, and so the music is definitely different uh, from previous games in the series. Uh, although still, you know, even in all aspects of the game, there's still some of that kind of Advance Wars wackiness, like with certain of the characters, and, and you know, I guess it's a good, just a sort of what you might expect from Japanese sort of culture. Uh, yeah. But you know, like you have like some crazy, some mad scientist and his like genetically modified daughters who are brilliant military tacticians <laughs> that carry teddy bears around or something. You know, I mean, yeah. there's still stuff like that, despite the sort of more dour. Uh, setting of the game but of course the music changes too and so I mean I think my abiding kind of thought about it is just how sort of melodramatic it is you know it's like you know it feels very very emo yes it's very big you know it's it's like well it's not afraid to kind of play up big you know the big guitar guitar is a big theme but actually I kind of chose two songs deliberately that didn't have it uh, and then saved the the last one uh, the, the, for, for the guitar, uh, you know, that might give it away a little more because that's sort of the theme of one of the, the commanding officers in the game that you'll be using a lot. So if, if you played this game with the sound on, you probably heard that <laughs> a fair bit. But a number of the other CEOs have that kind of guitar-driven theme as well. So yeah, that 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 kind of becomes a big part of it, um, you know, with the, the soundtrack. But I, I, I don't think I think it kind of yeah, you know, some people weren't that happy with the change you know because uh, they, they got, maybe they got used to the style that was employed in previous Advance Wars games uh, and then other people so I think kind of admired the fact that you know, for a DS game I think the fidelity is really quite good uh, of the instruments and stuff they yeah. clearly did put effort into it uh, so I think there's things to admire about it but I can under- understand why it was kind of divisive well it's interesting that both uh, of these tactical strategy RPGs that that intelligence systems uh, have long-running series. They try to change both of them up uh, yeah. around the same time. I mean, the the more recent Fire Emblem games are doing this pre-rendered kind of look that yeah. that is off-putting to some people, uh, including me. And uh, I mean, that could be just a cost thing. I mean, uh, yeah. because it is cheaper to do it that way these days. Yeah. So it may be that you know the sales in the past were not sort of commensurate with having a, a, a really uh, relatively large sort of development cost of you know that that beautiful sprite work that they do on stuff like the GBA games is is painstaking stuff really you know, yeah. relatively to, to just doing it pre-rendered so I, that might be pure cost cutting this though I feel was you know uh, reflective of the fact that 
Advance Wars, of course, you know, goes back to Famicom Wars in Japan mm-hmm. very, very long time ago. Uh, but then it made the jump to Western territories with the Game Boy Advance, naturally, hence the, the name. Uh, but sort of what happened in that period is that it actually became a you know, much bigger deal, apparently, in terms of sales in the Western markets than it did in Japan. And so, you know, it's, it seems that perhaps this game was an attempt to maybe make it more appealing still to American markets <laughs> because you know maybe they felt like the sort of weird wackiness of the other advanced wars was you know, a bit Japanese and you know you like, can't have that no. you can't have that that's, so you know they, they kind of went darker with it but that's the funny thing is that this particular advanced wars game despite the fact that advanced wars was for a long time a Japan only series never came out in Japan uh, so that's the answer to the trivia question. Uh, the dark, dark conflict slash days of ruin has, has only ever come out in America and Europe. Now, the original Game Boy Advance Wars game did not all come out in Japan initially either, but I think it did come out later on as like a combo pack or something with the second one in the, for the Game Boy Advance. So eventually, oh, eventually the Japanese got to play that one, but this dark conflict slash days of ruin hasn't happened so I guess the to- the, you know, it was developed by intelligence systems in Japan I think it was written in Japanese and then localized for the western markets <laughs> but then never actually released in Japan that's amazing <laughs> yeah I, see, I mean that's because it's still pretty Japanese as I mentioned yeah. you know some of the things about it it's not as if they completely erased its uh, you know cultural uh, leanings so it's it's a bit of a weird one but I guess maybe you know, the, just the sales figures had never been there, and you know they've they, maybe they've concentrated more on Fire Emblem there because there's like a second Fire Emblem for DS that they've released there that we'll probably never get. Well, there you have it. I I've never played an Advance Wars games. I, I I used to like Fire Emblem. I'm, I haven't really felt the itch to play it recently. Uh, would you say that Advance Wars is something for me to check out? Well, I've never played Fire Emblem. <laughs> so on the we're all opposite sides of the fence here. But I like Advance Wars. Um, you know, I mean, it was the the one on GBA was hugely acclaimed. You know, I mean, that was one of the games that you know uh, that for the GBA that, that got rave reviews everywhere. But also stood out for the fact that it was original. You know, so many of the GBA's notable games were Super Nintendo ports, and obviously this was leveraged on games that had already existed very heavily, you know, uh, in, with all the Super Nintendo and stuff like that in Japan, but we'd never gotten any of those, right. so, you know, the, it, it was fresh, it was you know, something that you could play that was very well suited to portables as well, so I think a lot of people latched onto it on the GBA, but I didn't. Uh, my first one was Dual Strike, so the first DS game. Uh, and I enjoyed that quite a lot and then you know sort of uh, I think I went and borrowed the original Advance Wars from a friend uh, for GBA and then played that and enjoyed that too and then the last one I played was uh, Days of Ruin so they're they're all enjoyable I mean the the notable difference that kind of happened from Dual Strike to Days of Ruin is I think because they made three in a relatively short period of time from like about 2001 to 2005 uh, with uh, 
apparently the original Advance Wars Black Hole Rising, I think is the second one, and then right. Dual Strike, is that they kind of had these elements that sort of layered on top of each other until, like, with the second one, you got, like, these, like, crazy, like, CO powers that were really powerful, and, like, they had, like, two screen battles where you've, like, got a battle on the bottom, but then, like, this maybe might be a battle happening in the air at the same time that you're kind of less involved with, but it's still going on at the same, you know, so with the days of ruin the whole the other part of having this all post-apocalyptic things we've stripped down more it was like okay you know we're kind of getting lots of stuff heaped on top of each other let's kind of change what the units are make it a bit less kind of outlandish and you know tone down the co powers a bit we had some new units like like anti-tanks that could counter-attack and a, a motorcycle unit that had range but could capture stuff so that kind of made that element of the game a bit more dynamic and your units could kind of level up in a limited way by killing things so you know if you could have a unit that could take out a few things uh, before sort of moving on maybe to uh, more difficult prey you could kind of power it up first and then it would be better equipped so well, this little micro kind of element there of uh, an rpg style thing but you know it's it, so i really like this one you know it felt a bit faster a bit leaner uh you know a bit more down to business kind of stuff uh, but I don't know how like serious fans kind of felt about it in general. Well, thank you, Greg, for giving me a chance to bring up my blank of blank theory on, a, on <laughs> subtitles, uh, because this is, of course, Advance Wars: Days of Ruin. So, uh, yeah, I wasn't gonna let that one go. And, and uh, it, it, of course, like if you have a blank of blank title in a series that isn't Castlevania, chances are one of the words will have been used by Castlevania. Which is true in this case with Portrait of Ruin and Days yeah. of Ruin. Well, at least Europe opted out of it with the uh, Dark Conflict, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I guess so. They, they saw that one and said no. <laughs> they they balked <laughs> at the idea of it, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to have to wrap this up here. Greg, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Uh, absolute pleasure. pleasure indeed, as you, as you know. I've been looking forward to being able to do this. The opportunity arose. I took it, and it's been a great deal of fun. Well, uh, enjoy the rest of your vacation and uh, <laughs> vacation from podcast editing. Uh, I, I will toil on your behalf here on, on this oh, thank podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And um, and be sure to check out Greg on Radio Free Nintendo, which I'm, I'm sure you already do, but well, yeah, I, I have to say it. Yeah, we'll be back. We're, um, we'll be talking about all the, the crazy stuff that's going on in the world of Nintendo, which, you know, summer, not necessarily the most busy time. But yeah. we will find things to talk about. If that's one thing I've learned in these yes. several years that we've been doing it now, we won't be have, we won't be short of things to say. All right. Well. Uh, bye. <laughs> bye, everyone. Bye, bye.
Radius 3 is copyright 1991 Konami. Wave Ray 64 is copyright 1996 Nintendo. Mega Man X2 is copyright 1994 Capcom. Donkey Kong Country Returns is copyright 2010 Nintendo. Advance Wars Days of Ruin is copyright 2008 Nintendo Intelligent Systems.